Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, Nikon releases a great camera with a big problem. Goggles that take pictures. And Stu Mashowitz from The Orphanage joins us for a geeky discussion about sensors. Right here on This Week in Photography, number 42. Hey everybody! See now you know that it's that that I'm on the show because I, 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 I announced it in my trademark. Uh, Scott is out this week. Uh, Scott Bourne is unfortunately not going to be able to join us this week. Uh, this is Alex Lindsay, and uh, we have we the show must go on uh, without Scott. And uh, we uh, so this is uh, this week in photography. Just in case you're wondering what you're listening to, and uh, in uh, Hermosa Beach, oh, I threw him a curve. Oh my God, he got it right. <laughs> <laughs> in Hermosa Beach, we have Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Ready to get defensive already. <laughs> I, yes, you know, Hermosa Beach. I always got to keep Ron guessing. That's the key to the operation. Yep. There, so. so also in uh, Vancouver, we have Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Yes, hi, guys. I'm, I'm close to you, but I'm, I'm still a Canadian content. Um, I'm actually uh, with the in-laws, actually. Well, we're not really married yet, but uh, I'm at my girlfriend's uh, parents' place. There's a lot uh, of photo opportunities up there. Beautiful Vancouver, and yeah, they're gearing up for the, speaking of the Olympics, although we weren't talking about it, uh, 2010 uh, Winter Olympics here, so there's a lot happening in Vancouver. It's beautiful. That's awesome. And is it, is it cloudy up there? It's sunny and it not really? rainy. Yes, yes. Wow. It's really awesome when it's sunny. It's pretty no, awesome it's, when it's cloudy, too. I like it when it's cloudy in Vancouver. Yeah. It, it rains here a lot, but the first, when the sun comes out, you know, people forget about the clouds. It's beautiful. Also in the studio, we have a special guest. Stu Mashwitz. Hey, guys. Hey. Nice to be hey, here. Stu. Hey, hey, Stu. And, uh, and Stu uh, is the chief technical officer at the orphanage. That is still true, yes. It's still true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and also an avid photographer. That's right. Um, that, and uh, that deals with lots of different kinds of cameras. Now, what was the last camera you were on a shoot with? Not a still camera, but like a film camera. Uh, it would be the uh, Panavision Genesis. Do you like it? Yeah, I really do. It really works. It's good. <laughs> Panavision lenses are good. We talk about how expensive our L-series lenses are for our Canon cameras, but you know, Panavision lenses are so expensive that you can't even buy them. Yeah. <laughs> and you can barely lift them. I mean, I don't even have a Panavision. You, know, I, you can't buy them. You, you know, I have a little Fujinon lens for, for our 950. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was one of those things, like someone asked how much it would be to, be re- to replace it. And I was like, oh, I'll go check, and it's... You know, twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, for, and that's not even a Panavision lens. Yeah, yeah. So there, it does make a huge difference, though. So, so the um, anyway, we've got uh, lots of stuff coming up. We want to thank, of course, Cashfly for uh, giving us the bandwidth, and uh, want to remind you that uh, don't forget to, that uh, Drobo. You can win a Drobo by linking to us uh, twipphoto.com. So make sure we giving away a new one. Uh, I believe uh, we are. Did we not? And see, it's in the notes, and Scott's not here, and this is usually Scott's part of the. the I know process. we gave one away. Yeah, we did. Well, <laughs> then you're going to win something. <laughs> you should link to us anyway. You should link to us anyway. We'll figure it out. It'll be something great. And um, we'll see if that ends up in the, in the actual show there. So um, we'll find out from Scott there what we're giving away. Uh, also, we have, um, of course, Twip is sponsored by Audible. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, now we've got the news and we've got all kinds of news. Now, one of the big things that people are both excited about and, of course, almost instantly angry about is that uh, Nikon has re- is has announced a G9 Challenger. Stu, have you been looking at this at all? I have, yeah, and I was uh very interested in it when it was just an image with a bunch of Japanese words around it, but I'm maybe a little bit less interested now that the words got translated. Yeah, they turned into English. <laughs> and some of them are really good words and some of them are really bad words. <laughs> so the upshot is 13.5 being the bad word. That's yeah, too many pixels, too many pixels. And we're going to talk about that one. Today we're talking a lot about sensors. And so but 13.5 me- effect- effective megapixels, the effect word mm-hmm. it always really frightens me not yeah. so effective you know effective means that some legalese means that we don't really have that many pixels and uh so we're just going to fake it and there's no reason to fake it because we don't need 13.5 megapixels it's yeah it's like it comes 13.5 ineffective 
at some point. <laughs> <laughs> they're very ineffective. In fact, they are kind of ineffective when they're effective. So the, um, it's got, uh, you got wide angle converters. Now, here's the, here's the thing that's been causing a lot of the hubbub. One of the things that's exciting about this, of course, is that they say that um, it has GPS. So GPS is built into the camera uh, so that instead of having to take some kind of logging uh, hardware uh, with you, uh, you can simply, when you're taking photos, it's going to log into the XF data um, exactly where you were. So um, for those of you who are doing scouting or, or doing other things like that, it's, it, it can be very, very useful. Um, it has an Ethernet jack, which is not something most of most cameras have. <laughs> is, it, I think, is that a full-size Ethernet jack on the side or is it some? I don't know. I didn't see the pictures of whether it was the whole Ethernet jack. But it, the, the interesting thing is it only really connects, according to the data that we've seen so far, to PictureTown, which is Nikon's little processing. And this is where things start to get sad yeah so so it has raw you know it quotes that it has raw uh file format support but it turns out that this format support is windows only or at least it appears to be windows only um it using it uses the windows imaging component uh instead of just shooting uh, raw uh, which means that you need to theoretically use um nikon and windows at the same time uh to get the raw data off the camera and I you really can't wish we had use, uh, Nikon's uh, Capture NX uh, Mac version. Then uh, I, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, no. I, I think at this point it's because they're, they're using some Windows libraries to base some of this on, as far as I can tell. Why would they do that? Why I, would they do that? I don't. Yeah. it's a a serious dtm issue you know know, it's the the thing is is that here's the here's the worst part i was talking to somebody else about this this morning is that this decision is as bad uh if not worse than the the fiasco that nikon had a couple years ago when they dealt with encrypting the white balance data Mm -hmm. yeah that i think turned out to be an honest mistake or you know, not malicious or it was corrected quickly. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, there was a couple people that, that, uh, brought up, I mean, cause this has gotten, it got the, that got the attention, uh, um, you know, of Tom Knoll, who doesn't come up very often. You know, Thomas Knoll is a very quiet guy. He's a very quiet guy. He doesn't make a lot of noise and except when people really screw up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and even with this related to on the Adobe, uh, user forum, he said, you know, WIC is windows only even on windows. WIC is basically useless for camera raw Lightroom type applications. Strong words. Yeah. And, and so this is a big, you know, it's, it's a big problem. And I have to admit that the, that the short sightedness of this process, I mean, because I have to admit, I've been looking at the D700 and the D3, and I've been literally thinking, oh, I, I got to go to Europe for a shoot um, at the end of August. And I was thinking, oh, should I get a D700 or a D3 before I get there? And, uh, and it literally had me step back from the ledge and go, oh, that's right. That's why you got rid of Nikon. <laughs> was stuff like this you know you know and and so it's just a insanely bad bad choice on a camera that otherwise for most of the other tech issues looks really good well and especially with the uh i mean somebody finally made a camera that on the surface seems like something you would want and included gps which i think a lot of us feel may someday become a ubiquitous part of a sort of you know hobbyist type camera you know (laughs) You know, Nikon has has not made any real mistakes in finger quotes this last year and a half with all the great stuff they've come out with. So it'll be interesting to see if there is any kind of uh, uh, stepping back and maybe fixing this if it's fixable. It uh, seems like a firmware issue. Yeah, it's something that they could fix. Uh, I don't know how easily it would be to fix. Um, but it, 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 you're kind of you know trying to figure out what they were thinking when they did it. You, know? uh, and, and you, sh- you should mention that there, there's nothing to stop uh, these various companies like Apple or, or Adobe from still decoding, you know, writing their own libraries to decode these raw formats. So I, I don't think that we can say unilaterally that this, this means that you can only use this camera on a Windows machine. I would suspect that you know the 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 mac based platform somebody's going to come up with a reader for it but it you know puts it down the road a little bit further well but only if it, but the, the question is why would you do why would you put it in some kind of goofy format when you could just shoot raw I, exactly you know, well, they were rushing to, rushing to get this thing out at this time but uh, maybe yeah, but you'd see you know you'd think they already have well defined formats they could just shove it into i don't know i i think some of it is just there's there's still this sense from some of these big manufacturers and nikon seems to be one of the worst that 
the software side of things is something that they can control and make more money on somehow. Yeah. They can yeah. sell you. I think they're desperately trying to turn camera capture or their whatever Nikon capture into a profit center. You know, uh, yeah, and it, it may very well be totally intentionally done as a as a business sort of thing to just test the waters for if we provide you know a, a full ecosystem that is totally under our control, can we make more money off of it even if we you know lose Mac users or something like that? I, I think it's dumb because I think that ultimately a camera manufacturer should concentrate on what they do well, which is making cameras. And you know, leave leave the software side up to the rest of the world. That people that do that better instead, like Adobe or Apple. It's an interesting. Uh, I think it's actually really interesting that this has happened, especially in light of um, your last guest, Tom Hogarty, talking about DNG. This mm-hmm. really highlights the need, I think, for something like DNG. Yeah, because you know, Alex, you just said. Why do this crazy proprietary stuff? Why not just shoot raw? But the truth is every raw format is crazy proprietary. And we sometimes think about our raw files as our digital negatives, but we don't, they're not a digital negative in the true sense because we don't, you know, it's, it's thanks to the hard work of people like Thomas Knoll that we can crack them open and do cool stuff with them. And we start taking that for granted it could slip away, you know. I'm not a paranoid type of guy who's overly concerned about that, and I have a lot of raw files in a lot of different formats, and I have not converted them to DNG, but stuff like this makes me think about it. Well, and I think that it's something that uh, it's important for us to make make a big deal when people start to go sideways, you know, yes, on this. You know, it's important absolutely. to, you know, and it's important for users, for those of you listening, to let people know how, you know, that this doesn't work. Because if, uh, you know, People have if, if if they put out a little finger and we squash it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it's one of those things that it will go away, you know. But if we if people go, oh well, I'll just buy it anyway and figure it out, then that, then that becomes some, it'll become a standard, you know, and that's the thing that's uh, yikes. Yeah. Or not so are we officially officially advising that people do not buy this camera until we know until we know that we, there's a format, an open format that that you you know, or not an open format, but a, a, a more standard raw format that's that's more ubiquitous to the other things. I, I would recommend not buying the camera. I was and literally I was twittering that I'm going to buy the camera because I was ready to go. I'm, I need to buy another camera. And now what I'm looking at is, uh, you know, the LX3. LX3, yeah. There's been a lot of exciting development lately in this class of cameras. So yeah. the Nikon is less attractive by virtue of having some really nice competition coming up. And the LX3 looks pretty uh, pretty impressive. Now, what yeah, I don't they, think what, we've talked about that one. That came out a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and what, what have they really added to it, um, different, distinguishing from the LX2? Well, the big thing is that they've completely changed the lens, and it's a sh- it's a shorter zoom, mm-hmm. uh, it's a faster zoom, and it has a Leica designation that has not yet been allowed to be slapped on. I don't really know if this matters at all, but it's right. it's got a designation that uh, Leica has not deigned to put on a point and shoot camera until this time. Um, but I think the really huge amount of progress, the the biggest feature that it has is that they did not add any megapixels to it. <laughs> that is the huge and the accomplishment. Other, the, other thing, the other thing, of course, is uh, so they claim is you know, the, the higher ISO capability and the uh, improved uh, you know, low-light uh, use of this camera. This is a beloved camera. People I know that have it just love it. I, I've seen it. I've, I've held it. it. It's a beautifully made little camera as well. So, yeah, are you talking about the LX3 or the LX1? The LX3. Yeah, the LX3. Well, oh, sorry, I the, the LX1 the, and then the LX2 and I will have the LX3. Right. Ah, yeah, the 3 is not shipping yet, right? I don't believe so. It was announced a couple weeks ago and mysteriously was announced in a way that made it sound like it was going to be released in Europe first. Hmm. But uh, I, I'm my mouse is hovering over a click to buy button that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> it does look, they have some examples on their website that uh, compare the grain structure of like ISO 800 and ISO 400. And it is a pretty impressive jump up. And that makes sense because basically it's this, the same amount of pixels on this roughly the same size chip three years later, basically. So right. you, just have, you, you just have what we would hope, which is that the natural evolution of technology is allowed to improve without people trying to cram more pixels in there and effectively wind up with the same amount of noise that we've always had. Right, and and that's the thing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit because mm-hmm. that's, that's all about what we're all about to uh, – to talk about one thing that we're also going to get to um, a little later is uh, 
talking a little bit about this new micro four thirds system. So yeah. this was announced by Panasonic and Olympus. Now it's not in, in a camera yet, so you can't buy this yet. Um, but it is a, um, basically it's, it, the, the, the sell point is that it's, it's a new camera standard that promises to cram about basically the same amount of quality that you get from a digital SLR into a smaller and much more portable package. Because that's really what we want, right? We want to have what we have on our SLRs, but we want, we want to have interchangeable lenses. We want to have you know, that stuff, but we want to be able to fit it into at least a smaller pocket, uh, maybe not our jeans pocket yet. Um, does, this, does this look promising? To, have you guys looked at it? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you know, what it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get you down to the super compact size cameras, but it gets you down to a camera that I think could probably be, uh, you know, G9 sized camera. Yeah. And, uh, but the key difference being it's, it's a, a much bigger sensor, and uh, then you can put interchangeable lenses on it. You know, the, the whole point of what they've done is taken the, the, the need, the, you know, they, just, they took the mirror out, you know, that little mirror that flips up inside of your standard SLR, the thing that routes the light from the lens through to the uh, eyepiece they took that out and just said you know you're going to give up uh, through the eye you know through the lens viewing for what's effectively a live view kind of scenario like most point and shoots but we're going to give you the big sensor so i think this is exactly what we're all looking for is something along those lines a bigger sensor it's kind of a it's a paradigm shift really i mean you know we're still seeing it's it's interesting to to note the film to digital and and how how cameras kind of look the same or at least the dslr series looks the same but i think a lot of us of course are looking for something smaller that will give us the same quality and just make it more flexible and and allow us to get stronger better pictures but that optical viewfinder i still hear a lot of people kind of lament the idea that it's going away but uh you know if if that's what it takes i think we can get used to uh, something Something that really works like this. That's uh, I mean the the rangefinder cameras that you you know you've been able to buy forever were not through the lens, right? So there's nothing to stop you from doing that same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the accessories that is going to be available for the LX3. Is an is an externally mountable optical viewfinder that clamps on the top and looks kind of funny and, and retro. But I, I mean, I think a lot of professional photographers are looking for the digital equivalent to their Yashica T4 that they used to carry around in their hip pocket and. Gotcha. I'm, I'm certainly yeah. one of those, and I, I, you know, a a rangefinder style optical viewfinder. I think the trade off for a, a live view that is actually through the lens. I think that's something I'm willing to accept. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, go ahead. The problem with it, well, the, just you know, the problem with having something that's not through the lens is that your framing isn't going to be exactly correct. You know, and and particularly as you get closer and closer to the subject. You know, the fact that your eye is offset from where the sensor is means that you're going to have, you know, slight differences in framing. Uh, but, yeah. you know, beyond that. Like, like, like the uh, Leica users that learn to sort of know their cameras and they could just sort of set the uh, focus distance uh, and they, it just becomes second nature. I suspect, you know, if those are some of the shortcomings, photographers can get around them just by knowing the camera and knowing that they're going to get a little extra, you know, here if they go in too close and stuff like that. Now, so. now the big question is, will you be able to get these into the Olympics? Have you seen this news? <laughs> the Olympic Committee bans "quote unquote" professional cameras for mm-hmm. visitors. So um, this is a, a submission by one of our listeners, uh, Andrew Gs, uh, and uh, and the Olymp- the Beijing Organizing Committee has imposed bans on several items. One of which is "quote unquote" professional camera equipment, which is really much more har- much harder to define at this point. <laughs> what are they going to do, though? I mean, if you show up with your oh ticket gosh. and your D3, I mean, you're not going to leave your D3, you know, anywhere, really. So In a hotel that, in Beijing? Probably not. No. Well, not even in the hotel, but if you show up to the site with your camera not knowing this, and they say, oh, you can't come in with your camera, what do yeah. you do? I mean, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty uh, pretty insane process. I mean, it, 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 I have to admit, from the it, it seems like the Olympics. We're going to see how this turns out. It just seems like, they, you know, between yeah. corporate interests trying to control the data coming out and the Chinese interest trying to control the data coming out. It's just, it's just watching these two pipes just get completely. There's a, there's a lot of uh, room for a train wreck to happen somewhere. Now what you might be able to go take in just in case you needed it. Have you seen this liquid, liquid images, underwater digital camera? (laughs) <laughs> that looks really cool. I need one of these. Yeah, I dude. need, it's not that I want one. I need one. Okay. So uh, check this out. This is a, it's goggles. So these are underwater goggles that have a lens, right? Like where your Cyclops eye would be, <laughs> you know, and, and right, they, right and, yellow. sorry, 
We got these these bright yellow uh, goggles. Let's see, I just want to wear these in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've often thought that it'd be really fun to have like a camera in my glass, you know, in in, in uh, you know, like so that you can just take pictures of. I'm experiencing this right now. I'm just gonna like yeah. tap my fingers mm-hmm. twice or clap. That's twice. gotta be coming. That's gotta be coming, don't you think? I mean, that's yeah, that's, I do. Oh, I'm sure you can get it now. It's just they're yeah. kind of bulky. Right. It's got a 5.0 megapixel uh, CMOS sensor, and uh, it'll even do a VGA video mode. Um, and right now, it looks like it's only available in in Japan, which is where everything starts. All the trouble 100, starts. Hundred bucks, hundred bucks. Yeah, so it's not I very mean, expensive. You know, fun no. in the tub. Fun in the tub. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely wear that around. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, you wear I'm those. Gonna, you those. know, the funny thing is, there's, there's a lot of conventions I go to that you could probably wear that around, and no one would notice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, he's yeah, just having fun. Yeah. Also, well, that's picture- Alex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also in the news, Picture Code uh, releases Noise Ninja uh, plugin for Aperture. Uh, Noise Ninja is actually one of my favorite plugins in Photoshop to get rid of uh, uh, grain. No, it actually. Yeah, works. but before the D three, I used to have noise, so I would I would <laughs> use that. So I suppose for well, a lot I'm of still, people, I'm still shooting with a cannon, so I have to get rid of that noise when I turn it up to sixteen hundred. So. Um, Really good plugin. Has, and, has anybody done a comparison of Noise Ninja with uh, the native um, noise reduction inside of, of Aperture? I haven't done it inside of Aperture. I, I yeah, because I know that, I mean, when I was still working at Apple and still working a little bit on Aperture, I know that we, we had some pretty cool algorithms that were in some of our tests uh, in, the, in the ballpark uh, and sometimes better, sometimes worse than what Noise Ninja had. And uh, but I don't know if it ever made it in, and I haven't really done an exhaustive test of of what's in there right now. I have to admit that uh, you know coming you know pre D three where Nikon users would set the lowest ISO that they could. I really don't use the noise uh, reduction software all that often. I I'm, I try and keep my ISO down, and I mean it's something I'll look at uh, as time goes by. I just haven't had the the time to do it. Yeah, so. I, I do too because it's still it still looks processed. You know, whenever you're, it's all said and done, it it looks less noisy but it doesn't necessarily look as natural right yeah, it's definitely the, the thing that i always am looking for i mean you you just decide which one is worse i tend to like the grainy look you know of a lot of photos um uh so i tend to leave it in there uh, if i want to remove it for whatever reason i've done some pr photos that i needed to kind of get reduce it the thing you have to be really careful of is where it decides what is grainy and what isn't and it starts to flatten stuff out and flatten people's faces out really quickly um so they look kind of like a painting so yeah, so that's the. It seems like that's the big difference between paintings and photos sometimes. So, um, so moving on, we have uh, the site of the week, um, and this was uh, this is uh, it's called photoworkshop.com, and um, they have a lot of just a little bit of everything. So if we go up, you know, if you uh, go there, there are uh, assignments. There's uh, images of the week, photo contests, photo 101, 3D workshops. I mean, they really um, kind of cover everything. And there are some, um, there are some areas that you can get that are free. And then they, of course, they have uh, stuff if you want to participate and, uh, and jo- you know, get more, get further down the path. Um, you know, there's a $39 a year and a $89 a year option. So um, definitely worth uh, worth checking out. Have you guys noticed that uh, this whole workshop and and sort of how to world in photography is is seems to be really growing? I suspect because more and more people are getting deeper into photography because of of digital. There seems to be workshops everywhere, and everyone's got a workshop. And shows like ours, for instance, are becoming pretty popular. Well, I think that, I, mean, I think part of it is. I mean, even when I, I remember looking at a statistic in the mid '90s that said the number one hobby in the United States was photography. You know, wow. it's, you know, people have been doing this, and it, but it is, I think, much different in the world of Flickr. You know, in the world of everyone putting their images up, I think there's an excitement there that that uh, maybe wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. 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 I yeah. think that's only going to continue. You're, yeah. you're, you're going to see, you know, people. I mean, you 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 are at some point going to see eyeglasses with little tiny cameras in them, and people wanting to manage those photos, and you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I have I have this this theory that. Really, we we are we are sort of the last undocumented generation. I mean, you, you look you know you look at your kid right now, Alex, and I, think about the amount of video and and, and footage that's available, uh, you know, and, and stills that are available, right? That, yeah. that you're taking. Uh, I, mean, I have and, I have I, I looked at my I looked at my collection. I have 450 selects. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And he's only nine months old. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think the point is, you know, kids, kids today, and, and especially in another 10, 15 years, you know, you're going to be able to dial back to, where was I at on December 14th, uh, 2012? <laughs> so and and cool. have, you know, here's all the pictures of that. Here's video from that day. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, eventually you're just going to have, I mean, it's going to be small enough and portable enough. I mean, literally, you know, the size of, of a button on your shirt that you'll just be streaming video 24 hours a day to a hard drive somewhere <laughs> and archiving it. And I, I don't I think you I'd want to do that. That's, that's my problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, part of the excitement I see, I mean, when I talk to amateur photographers that move up to sort of a good quality digital camera, they are amazed at what they're doing. They're amazed at the images they're getting and, and yep. you know, just really kind of surprised and that just brings them deeper into it and they want to get they want to get more and more so yeah i think the the we're going to see this this whole photography thing i think it's going to stay i think yeah. it's going to uh it's not just i think a it's going to, it's not just a fad I, I think it's just going to keep keep growing but it'll be interesting to see how photographers you know continue to have to separate themselves from the pack of you know very competent amateur photographers to be able to charge uh for their images but i, I think too you're seeing a lot of good photographers now move into this sort of workshop and and other world of of helping others uh you know become better photographers well i think that's that there's a i mean obviously there's a big opportunity there i mean i think when we uh uh, the people who were making the most amount of money when Photoshop first started, I know there were there were people like me that were getting paid you know minimum wage to do ads, <laughs> and there were these <laughs> ad agencies who were losing the work to me, and uh, the people who were really making the most money were the guys that were doing workshops on how to take how the to work use away from stuff. the ad agencies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that That's was so true. That was kind of the the process, and so yeah, I think definitely. Uh, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And I think that, as I said, I think there's a lot of excitement that we uh, you know, haven't seen before uh, based on a lot of this stuff. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Flickr, by the way, we have, uh, we're in week two of the challenge eight. I'm not going to tell you anything more. Um, you know, you have to figure out This isn't challenge number eight. This is the, the challenge to photograph something related to the number eight. It could eight. be anything. It could be a spider. It could be, but not an insect. But it could be a spider. <laughs> uh, it could be a spider. It could be. Uh, um, it could be. You know, a Mandela. F eight. Sorry. F eight. F eight and be, be there. F eight and be there. Yes. yes. Mm. Ooh. That's Ooh. How many people have that has everybody heard that? Eight millimeter lens. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I got some nice. photos. I just got. A, I just. I just bought a uh, Sigma eight. Yeah. <laughs> which I love. I want to get nice. one of those. I really. You know. Here's the worst part. Is I. I got it because I got a new, um, I'm borrowing uh, a new Kaiden rig. So Kaiden makes these great QuickTime VR rigs that are, uh, um, it's just a real great way to suspend your lens over the nodal point. And, uh, and, and I got a really nice one that I'm borrowing from them right now. And so I wanted to test it. And of course, <laughs> I got the rig, but then I was like, okay, so now I need a lens. And so I got the eight millimeter, which is just a gorgeous, um, you know, gorgeous lens and threw it on. And, you know, shooting, I was shooting QuickTime VRs in, in Gettysburg and, um, and in, this, in this big castle. And, um, and so I, I shot all this stuff and then I left it on the camera. You know, I, I, I put my 50 down. It's actually kind of fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> kind of the, the, the fisheye thing is kind of uh, it's a really enjoyable experience. I suddenly found myself using it more, and I decided that I was going to um, spend a day or two next week just shooting with my eight. You know, just just shooting with that on it instead of my fifty. Yeah. I'm only going to take you know, to figure out to take the lens hood off because you know it's got that little low profile lens hood. I haven't taken it off. <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. I just got it. I just got it. So no, I did the same thing. Shots. That's why I asked. Is when you first get it, there's a, there's a low profile lens hood that you know sort of protects the lens, but that actually comes off. So you're you're being you're shooting slightly cropped right now. I did notice that I was only getting about 175 degrees or so. So that's that's what I need to do to do it. Yeah, See, I forget when. The outside. Oh, when you get a new piece of equipment, I mean, it is reinvigorating. I have a friend. Like I tend to use with one lens that the the 24 to to what is it 70 Mm -hmm. but a friend of mine just got the new 21 megapixel canon with a 51.2 and he was showing me some of the portraits he's doing kind of close to wide open or wide open and it's it it's kind of mind-blowing to see those and i you realize that yeah sometimes you know the getting a new piece of equipment can completely uh get your juices flowing again and get you excited again in in a new way so yeah it's it's, it's so much fun yeah and 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 that's because to me i leave my i have a 50 on 80 percent of the time with a you know set at somewhere between 1.8 and 2.8 you know, just like really, really yeah. wide open. And that's how I take pictures of everybody. And, uh, 
Um, and to have this was a completely uh, change. But I was shooting pictures of the set and pictures of my, you know, of my son and pictures of all kinds of stuff. It's really a lot of fun. Cool, cool. So we got more th- more than six thousand people on the on the Flickr challenge right now, um, and so uh, three over three thousand in the critique form. So definitely come up and check that out. The um, uh, last poll results were: is photography uh, primarily designed to a please yourself, b please your friends. Uh, C, please your family, uh, D, please your peers, or E, please clients. And it turns out 84.4% are just there to please themselves. They're just taking pictures to be happy. So that's good. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I think that's the way it should be. I'm, I was glad to see that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> New poll, the next poll for uh, you to, uh, to, to jump in on, if you're listening here, go up to twitphoto.com and let us know what focal length you primarily shoot at. Super wide. Wide, normal, telephoto, or super telephoto. So uh, definitely uh, go up there and let us know. Uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun for us to see this stuff. It's, uh, usually we get over 2,000 uh, responses, and so, or 1 to 2,000 responses. And so it's, uh, it's, it really gives us a great sampling of, the, uh, of all of you listening. So uh, definitely check that out. And uh, finally, we're into the meat of this discussion, sensors. Put on your geek hats. We're Here getting we go. our geek on. So, uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things about sensors that, um, that we're always, you know, dealing with. And I think a lot of people get confused when they see all these different options. Um, you know, one of them, one of the big things we see CCD versus CMOS. Uh, we see the Foveon sensor. We see all this new stuff. We, we, you know, we hear about megapixels. Um, and I, it just seemed like we should really just sit down and, and we get these questions and let's just figure out, you know, what all this stuff is. So, um, so first of all, uh, Ron, can you give us a little overview of a CCD? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I love just throwing I, that. I right can away. basically read from a Wikipedia page for this, <laughs> <laughs> but let me, you know, let me actually preface that with, um, you know, there's, there's so many things with our cameras that people tend to get it's almost religious about, you know, is it CCD? Is it CMOS? Mm. And, yeah, I've looked a little bit into the difference between them. Uh, it has to do with sort of where the circuitry lives in the camera and, and whether it's sort of built into the sensor itself versus uh, sort of external circuitry. Um, they, you know, either way, they're, they're sort of man- chip manufacturing kind of techniques, and uh, they, they, you know, they all capture light. And I guess I've never really been particularly... You see so many different back and forths and, you know, a well-designed CCC versus a poorly designed CMOS is, is still going to be so much a better, you know, a better chip or vice versa. So I've never really had a whole lot of concern with whether it's CCD or CMOS because I think there's so many other factors that go into the design that yeah. doesn't really, doesn't well, make that much you know, of a difference. One of the big things I, I know from a, from a moving camera point of view, one of the things that people get sensitive to is that uh, generally CMOS has been a little less expensive than a CCD to produce uh, or to mass produce. Um, but one of the problems that we have is, is, is dealing with uh, well, what's called a rolling shutter. Uh, now, that isn't something that we deal with too much as a still camera. I guess if something was moving fast enough past your camera when you were firing, it might be more... You deal with a lot on the iPhone, actually. You deal yeah, with the iPhone is a great way great, to be, see that yeah. artifact in live and in person. So what's happening is, is that a CCD will grab the entire image all at one time. So it opens up and fires that image and pulls it back. A CMOS will, uh, well, some, I guess there is, there are some chips. Every time, every time you say this, there's going to be exceptions to it, which is why I never go down the road of CMOS is this or CCD is that, because I've seen designs that incorporate pieces of what's traditionally the other design. Right. Right, but most of the cameras, most of the CMOS cameras out there are, are using what's called a rolling shutter, which means they're scanning from the top to the bottom. Now, they may be doing it really fast in a split, you know, it might be a four, one 480th of a second or, or one 120th of a second or whatever. But what that causes is if something's moving, if the camera's moving or if something's moving in front of it, uh, you can see a warp. You know, because the, 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 the stuff, if, if, if everything's pretty still, it won't matter. If, if there's a lot of stuff moving, you can start to see it because things are different by the time, from the time it got from, started at the top to the bottom. And that's a real problem in, uh, in video when you're trying to take a motion image. But I don't think it is a problem in still cameras because there is still a physical shutter right. that controls the stop and the start of when the light that is accumulated on the sensor 
happens. Right. So, can I ask? Can I ask you guys a question? Uh, maybe you know it. I, I'm curious uh, of of both formats, if you will, CCD or CMOS. Uh, in terms of the future, will will there be sort of one that will eventually kind of kill the other, or will they both? Do they both have the potential to just complete uh, 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 to evolve and and get better, kind of at the same rate? Or are there some limitations? Do you think with with one over the other? I don't know if you know that. You know, but, I'm not uh, positive. I my understanding is is that CMOS is slowly kind of taking over a lot of stuff just because it's less expensive and it's kind of the newer technology and um and, and it's less expensive <laughs> on, on the high end on the high end has the 50 megapixel they announced and, and the leaf one i believe it's cmos uh, sensors right. on these very high megapixel uh one and, so you know, and for a while there yeah for a while there can you know canon like i think in the sort of 20d 30d time frame uh had cmos in, in those and you know still does have cmos and i think it that around then nikon was still using a ccd and for you know people were claiming that the cmos was the reason why the the uh, quality was better the the low noise sensitivity was better but I, you know like i said i don't for me, I think the the more interesting question is uh, we should talk about the next sort of type of sensor, which is exactly uh, yeah. something like the uh, well. Yeah. We should talk a little bit about Bayer uh, sensor yeah, patterns versus something there, like yeah. Ovion, and yeah, yeah, because there's a there's something that the CCD and CMOS chips both share, which is that they are monochrome sensors. Right. So you think of them as a color sensor, but they're not. Right. They're stacked, right? I mean, where they're, they're intermingled. Right? They, have a, they have a grid, basically, laid over top. It's sort of like if you press your face up against your LCD uh, computer screen and you see that there's a, a transparent window that is masking little red, green, and blue uh, you know, it's, light. It's really bad for your face. eyes, but it's really fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe throw your camera into macro and smack it up against your LCD screen and you'll... You'll get a little glimpse at uh, not a bad representation of what's happening inside your camera, which is that uh, the the chip itself is monochrome and is being filtered so that each of your precious megapixels is only recording either red, green, or blue. Right. And uh, And then all of these have to be brought back together. And this is what's typically called the bear pattern. That's right. Um, And uh, uh, the... The issue is, of course, is that they're not stacked on top of each other, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, when you if you just think about when you if you if you take a picture of only blue things, you are taking a picture at one quarter of your camera's resolution. If you put a blue filter on your lens, you have just cut your resolution down by a quarter or down to a quarter of its original resolution. Uh, are they equally um, spaced, or is it? No, they t- there there are different approaches, but they tend to be. Uh, in every group of four pixels, there tend to be two green and then one red and one blue. Right. They, you tend to have greens more often because green is the most sensitive. It, it, it cuts out the most light or it cuts out the least amount of light, you know, gets most of the light through. So that tends to be the more sensitive color. And, and it's also, from what I understand, is what we're most sensitive to, too. That's correct. Yeah. You know, so as, as I imagine it's after a couple million years of Watch it walking through the jungle looking for things that could eat us. We've gotten really good at seeing distinctions in green. <laughs> so, so the um, uh, so we're very sensitive to that. Now the the problem is, of course, is when we when we bring that all back together, we have all these sensor sites. They're all sitting next to each other, but not on top of each other. Mm-hmm. When we bring them all back together, it's a little soft. And if you look at what directly comes off of any of these sensors before it's sharpened, now one thing when you bring in a raw image, for instance, you'll you'll see a little sharpening. Uh, you're, you're able to turn the sharpening up, and usually it's set to something. It's not set to zero. That's right. Uh, one thing that I know on video cameras that is a, a real eye-opener is if you turn the, vid- the sharpening down on a video camera, down to zero or down to near zero, uh, it looks really soft. It, yeah. all, it looks like you're basically out of focus all the time. And that's because the decision about how to reconstruct those missing pixels in each of those color channels is subjective. It, there's not one way to do it. And there are ways to do it that prioritize sharpness, and there are ways to do it that prioritize smoothness. Right. And you'll see on DP Review, you'll see examples of, you know, an, a Nikon shot of a highly detailed building, and you'll see a funky little moray pattern that looks like a maze or a, a labyrinth pattern. That, and that's the result of the software inside the camera failing to do a smart job of reconstructing the detail it's trying to find too much detail that isn't there and so it's it the artifact of it is uh extra sharp 
wrong stuff. Uh, the other direction you can go is to not try so hard to find the detail. You won't have those moiré patterns. You won't have those funky little extra ugly details that didn't exist, but you'll have an overall softer image. And, and uh, have, Yeah, and for, for people that want to actually use this in practice, uh, in, in most raw decoders, there's actually a sharpening step in there that is accessible. You can crack open the decoder thing and do that. So if you're seeing, you know, generally there's, sharpening is, is turned up a fair bit so that you get what looks like sharp images. But if you take a picture of exactly something like Stu just mentioned where you're shooting a, a fence or the tiles on a roof or something like that, and you're seeing these weird patterns showing up, you can usually get them to go away or at least be a lot less noticeable by going in and, and adjusting the, the sharpening at the raw decode stage. Now, it's going to make stuff look softer, but sometimes that's not going to be as big a problem, depending on what you're looking at. Steve, you were going to say something? Oh, no, I, I actually wasn't. I'm just listening intently and learning from you guys. <laughs> well, well, one thing, but one th- but, but now, that, now that you brought me into it, I, I'll ask you guys that have both still and video experience, it seems to me sometimes when I'll go see a movie and I'll look and I'll see you know, the, the beautiful detail in very low-light situations, obviously you know, lit for that, but, but just beautifully done. And we're starting to see now with the, the low-light capabilities of these sensors sort of a duplication of that ability for still photographers that has not really been that easy to achieve. Um, I suspect that the CMOS sensors are the ones that are, are, are being built and, and able to, to handle the, the very high ISO and low light in such a, a good way. Yeah, I think that, I mean, whatever we look at for these chips, I, I, I will say that I, it is exciting for both filmmaking and for still photography of this super sensitivity, you know, to, uh, to a lot of this data. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing now is, is I think, Panasonic, was it Panasonic that put out the, the R&D chip that was actually shooting three exposures at a time? So basically oh, yeah. cut, basically what it did is it, it had sensor sites that are each, you know, uh, a different size, which made them more sensitive or less sensitive to light. And it was basically shooting the effectiveness of an HDR, you know, in the lab, um, mm. you know, at one time. Now, one of the other things that's happening we, we, to get to the other half of this uh, conversation is there is one manufacturer that does it differently. And this is the Foveon X3 sensor. Has anyone shot with a Sigma? No. No. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> That's the problem there. This is the problem. This yeah. is the problem that yeah. Foveon has had since, the, you know, they came out in a lot of fanfare. And, uh, you know, when the, when the R&D was, um, was brand new and, uh, and it looked very pro- uh, promising. What, what the Foveon does is, of course, it stacks the uh, colors on top of each other. So instead of having all the red, green, blue all next to each other, uh, these, the, the, each sensor is um, stacked on top of the next one so that you get the same sight. And the, theor- the theory is, is that you get a much sharper image. Right. It's, you know, it's actually in a lot of ways the way film works. You have three layers of emulsion, each one sep- you know, sensitive to a different spectrum of light. And, you know, the red light, I don't know, I can't remember if the order was red, green, and blue or the opposite, but let's say, you know, red's on the outside. So, any, you know, any red light will get stopped by that sensor, but any uh, green or blue light passes through that. It's transparent to those frequencies of light, and then the layer below it catches that. And so the thinking is, you know, then, then you're actually getting a, an accurate pixel as opposed to, you know, one accurate and two inaccurate for any given color. You're getting an accurate pixel for all three colors. Uh, the, the downside of this is they haven't been able to make these sensors at the same density level that you can make a traditional yeah, they Bayer sensor. Sell it because it's, it's really the same density, right? It's just that they they have to say the kind of that effective. Well, that's where that's where the conversation I think gets really interesting because the the the, the actual megapixel of the Sigma DP one is what is it? Is it six? It, I mean, it's I think it's actually like four. I mean, it's, four, right? Yeah. So it's so it's. In other words, pixel for pixel, it has fewer pixels, but the the rationale is that, well, okay, but each of those pixels is gathering three times as much information as right. the equivalent pixel on a CCD or CMOS. Yeah. So, so there is one school of thought, and certainly the school of thought that Sigma would have you believe, that you should multiply their megapixel number by three, and that is the true megapixel count of that camera. And for a colorful scene... I believe that is true right. for yeah. a black and white photo. It is absolutely not true. And right. yeah. most photos are somewhere in between a colorful scene and a black and white photo. Right. And one of the things we have to always remember is, is that uh, how much of the image 
that we see that we look at is black and white information. Yeah. I mean, we, when, if you want to see that, um, on, you know, in Photoshop, just take your, take your image, uh, your nice little RGB image that you have in there and convert it to lab. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. look at the L channel, which is all your black and white information. And then look at the A and B channels, which is your color information. And what you're going to see is the A and B channels are washed. You know, it's a very simple. In fact, you can blur those to 10, 20, 30 pixels and you won't notice very much uh, change. But you change that, that lightness channel by more than, a, uh, you know, one or two pixels and everything gets real soft real fast. Uh, the... Um, uh, now, and this brings us to a, the, I think one of the most important parts that we touched on a little earlier is this idea of megapixels. You know, this has kind of become the new, uh, you know, how fast is your processor? You know, that we had mm-hmm. this, you know, you know, gigahertz kind of thing or megahertz and then gigahertz and, you know, all these other things about uh, chips on the computer world and, uh, and what, what was faster and whether it made a difference. And, and one of the things that we see a competition to, and I think some pulling back, is the need for more and more megapixels. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. conversation stopper. Yeah, well, we've kind of been beating on that theory for quite a while now. It's, here, yeah. so it's, it's weird because listening to this show has, has heard it more than once. Yeah. And it, and it's something where photographers everywhere are crying out against this, and it's weird because we're sort of battling an unseen foe on this. Whoever it is who's sitting there, I think at part of it's a marketing a marketing company. I mean, mar- the marketing guys are going, "Well, that's how we sell the camera. We yeah. that's how they were selling the camera. That's why I was it so has- proud of Panasonic for." their press release for the LX3 because they made a specific point of saying enough this has gone too far you know we are drawing a line in the sand we're not adding more megapixels we're adding more betterness you know <laughs> yep. and and i think that they will be able that's to that's a good word yeah they, they, more betterness you know or yeah. more low light sensitivity which is really the trick i i think people don't often realize that you know there was that trick about trying to shoot multiple exposures at once and try to make a sort of fake HDR as you shoot. And there's all this sort of interest in HDR photography. If you have a very low light sensitive chip, you are shooting in HDR because you can just decide to underexpose by four stops and mm-hmm. the usable detail will still be there. You'll be able to boost it back up, but your highlight detail is also captured as well. So right. what, we, what we really want, if we want the dynamic range of film, if we want beautiful images, is we just want low light sensitivity. And there has to be a way to market that because everybody hates blurry pictures. And it's like, and it's like the camera engineers want to throw all this crazy face detection, image stabilizing tech. It's like, how about just back off and give me an eight megapixel camera that can shoot in the dark? You know, right. uh, that that would be better, and people uh, well, would buy it. And my thing is, is, is we were talking, we were twittering back and forth about this uh, related to the perfect camera. And one of the things for me was a six megapixel camera for for my point and shoot, yeah. like for my the one I put in my pocket. Give me six megapixels that can shoot grainless at 6,400 ISO, you know, mm. and I'd buy that in a heartbeat Absolutely. faster yeah. than anything else that I'm using, you know, and I, I think, mean, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, the, the people that really require these sort of large files, I mean, you see these new 50 megapixel chips on the new Hasselblad or Leaf shutter. I mean, yeah, there's no question what you can do with that in terms of making a very large high resolution image, but it's, it's really not not only practical, but, uh, or not only impractical, but it, it's not really necessary or even really what people, what a lot of photographers really w- are asking for. It's just, you know, this idea of, I mean, there are certain, and I know, Alex, you mentioned that there, you have a project that you, you would love to be able, be able to blow things up big, and so do I. But for, the, for 97% of most photographers and, and the images we take, uh, completely, uh, you know, it's nice to know they're there, uh, but, but it's not something we, we really need or want even. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that I think most of the photos, especially the photos that I take on my hand, and what's interesting is, is that the stuff I take with my little uh, whatever I have in my pocket is the thing that I'm most sensitive to about it being low light because usually I'm taking it. And I think that as a consumer, you would get far more quality and far more value out of a out of um, low light sensitivity than anything you're going to get out of megapixels. That's because so true. Because what, where you shoot, you're not is, as a professional or as when we're yeah. doing professional shoots, I've got plenty of light. <laughs> I've, I've, look, I've got my look, light look at the hit. 
look at the history of photography. I mean, the greatest images ever taken. I mean, there are some taken with very large format film cameras back in the day, but the the vast majority of of, of the images we know, the iconic photographic images, were not were not you know done. I mean, we've got right now, you know, like you said, with a six megapixel camera, probably the quality of of most of the great photographs ever taken. So, right. you know, this whole idea of of, of bigger being better, um, it doesn't doesn't hold water. Well, really. and the thing is, is that you're you're taking photos at weddings, you're taking photos at birthday parties, you're taking photos at, you know, and these are the, these are the places that the, the consumer is taking photos of, you know, they're taking them indoor, they're taking them all these places and they're, they're turning those horrible little flashes that sit right next to the lens on. And so everyone's got red eye and they all look flattened down and everything else. And they could be getting these, you know, the difference, my SLR, one of the biggest differences my SLR has is that I, it looks relatively good at 1600 ISO, you know, and that's not even what, you know, what some of the new bigger Nikons, whatever, but that's the thing that sets it apart is that is that I can shoot at 1600 ISO and it's going to look good. I mean, I don't someone turned on my flash on I think I talked about this on an earlier show. And I was like, I didn't even know it it had a flash. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know if it worked. I didn't know. I mean, I never I never turned it on. My yeah. absolute favorite thing about my 5D is that it doesn't have a flash, you know. I was sitting around a campfire with some people and I had my 50 wide open and I was at ISO 1600 and I was taking pictures of people by firelight. Yeah. And we were passing the camera around looking at the pictures and people were tripping over themselves at how gorgeous this light was right that is a marketable thing in a small camera yeah no i i definitely agree so uh, hopefully i think we've covered a lot of the i think the most important parts of uh sensors if you've got more questions about that of course uh uh send them in and uh, we will try to answer them if we've we probably uh created as many questions as we as we answer i just i just checked the numbers in the um that the uh, lx3 has actually got a slightly larger sensor than the uh, the new nikon that was just announced so one more reason not to buy the nikon yeah no i'm well you know i've been talking to Stu about the lx series for quite some time and i i still i'm a huge fan i've been i've been in this orbit because of uh not you know feeling like i was kind of in the middle of a cycle you know between Mm -hmm. photo shows so when i lost my g9 i've been kind of just trying to live without it and getting closer and closer to buying something. And I think that the uh, – at first I was looking kind of at the Nikon there and going, oh, that looks like a good idea. Now I'm leaning much more towards the LX. Yeah. But guys, don't forget. I mean it's not even out yet and no one's actually had it in their hands. So I mean, you know, there, yeah. it, things, things could change. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I'm coming to it from just a, the point of I had the LX1. I threw it down a set of stairs. I bought the LX2, and uh, I, I, I sense another stairwell coming near me when the LX3 <laughs> <laughs> is released. One more thing that's probably worth mentioning for everybody that's listening. Photokina 2008, which is a big photo show that happens every two years, is in late September this year. So I, I wouldn't buy anything. Are you, is anyone going? No, I went, I went two years ago. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. But, um but anyway, I, w- I wouldn't recommend anybody buying anything in the next couple months, <laughs> at least until all, all the major manufacturers have announced what they're going to be coming out with by then. Yeah, generally, if you're, if you're near PMA or Photokina, you know, those are the times to kind of wait just a couple more weeks, you know, um, and you'll start to see a ramp up like what we're seeing now where people are starting to, uh, uh, you know, and do more and more there. So definitely worth uh, waiting, waiting that out. Uh, next, we have we're running a little bit behind, but I want to make sure we uh, get in. We want to thank Audible dot com for um, supporting us. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, of course, uh, they're supporting the listeners. You can get a free book at Audible dot com. It is uh, all you have to do is go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash twip of course we have a link to that in the show notes and uh, you get a free book so there's no reason not to go up there and uh, check that out there's almost 50,000 titles uh, to pick from uh, we usually do a pick I think I've done this on MacBreak Weekly but I, I want to repeat it because I've been listening to this book and it's um, I really like it a lot it's called Commonwealth Economics for a Crowded Planet and it's uh, Jeffrey Sachs who is an economist and uh, I know we're not talking about a the economy very often um, in a camera uh, kind of thing, but it is a it's a really um, really good way of kind of backing up and thinking about what's going on in kind of a bigger picture. It's also a really good light economics theory kind of book, you know, where you don't really want to go to class and you don't really want to, you know, I didn't want to actually take economics in college. But I'm learning a lot about that as I go through it. And if you combine it with, you know, the, the other one that I've been <laughs> listening to back and forth, which is, I think, making me a little depressed, is How Societies Coll- uh, Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed by Jared Diamond, who also wrote Guns, Germs, and It's Steel. a love story, right? It is. It's a love story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a love story. So those two are the ones I've, uh, you can see that I, I like to really read or listen to the light stuff. 
um, <laughs> mostly. And uh, but it keeps it keeps me going while I'm shopping at Bristol Farms, which I think is usually the, the time I'm listening and to. to documentary. You wonder, Doc- if you see me wandering around like buying <laughs> buying really nice Fuji apples uh, in Bristol and, Farms, and waving your arms in the air, going, yeah. "I can't believe this!" Uh, you know, and then I, like, <laughs> I feel so bad, but this Fuji apple looks yeah. great. You know, <laughs> you know, and so uh, so it, it's. Uh, I mean, it's the kind of a book that documentary photographers might get some ideas from, and of yeah. course, like guys like Sebastian Salgado was an economist before he became a photographer and realized that in order to kind of you know tell the world what he knew in terms of the economics of the world he could do it much more effectively photographically so there's a there's a photo connection to to a lot of the books that we're we're talking Absolutely. about here and just as a reminder it's something that uh you can uh, you know get a free one. Doesn't have, whether you get ours or not, you can get a free book up there uh, if you uh, check out audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Now, we, uh, we have answered, I think, a lot of questions. There was a bunch of censored questions that we're actually going to skip over here. And uh, we are um, running dangerously low on time, but uh, we will uh, um, skip over most of these. Let's see here. One of the questions uh, that we had here that I think is a little related to what we were talking about is um, – uh, this is from Greg Hale, and it said, thanks for the show. I've learned much about in the last few months since I uh, purchased my first digital SLR after using a film SLR for years, and uh, he has a new Rebel XSI, he said, which he loves, and he's shooting raw. And he said, the XSI standard picture setting adds some sharpness, and we were just talking about this, and he just said he doesn't really think he needs to. Uh, is there a disadvantage to having the camera leave the sharpness on, or is it something that uh, he, he should turn down? from the standard settings. Now, I, I believe that that's just a setting that it's, it's, that's riding along with the raw format, right? That's correct. It's a recommendation. Right. <laughs> it's metadata that rides with the raw file and, and uh, chances are your Aperture or your Lightroom or, or Photoshop will uh, maybe follow that suggestion or interpret it in a way that seems appropriate, but uh, you're, you're not m- committing to anything. Which right. is, I it think should just be an initial an initial setting that you know most of these packages will set. If you say you know start off sharp, it may put it in there. I don't even think I don't even know that Aperture does that, and I think it may just ignore it. But uh, bottom line is yes. When, when you're shooting raw, the whole point of raw is that you're not baking anything in that you don't have to. And that's the thing. I, I think we, we I, I've had a couple people Twitter you know asking me uh, about like what kind of camera would you get at this price range? And to me, all cameras start with do they have raw. You know, I, I just wouldn't buy a camera now. And I, and I know that some people just want to take shots and they just want to do it. But there's so much that you get from having a raw format. Um, it just seems like to me, I just feel like I'd be uh, kind of naked out there shooting without, a, without, a, without raw format. I totally agree. Um, another question we have here from uh, Timothy Van Dorit, I think. Um, he said uh, he enjoys the show, of course. And, and then he says, uh, my question pertains to prime lenses. I'm a entry-level photographer with an Nikon D40 and a Nikon 50mm 1.8. Uh, I understand that these lenses sh- should provide the clearest possible pictures, and I'm ha- having a difficult time getting my images to not look blurry or out of focus. As you, as you know, um, this lens-camera combo does not support autofocus. Um, have you heard of any good things about the Sigma 50mm 1.4? Um, what advice can you give me? Sincerely, Timothy. Um, so, uh, oh, it's Van, yeah, Van Dorit. I got it right. Uh, from St. Louis, Missouri. So what do you guys have to say about that? Yeah. Well, there's no question. I, I, I noticed myself, and you guys might relate, um, when we sort of went from manual focus lenses to autofocus lenses, it was a good time for me because my eye was starting to deteriorate. And, and the quality, you know, of what autofocus can do, I, I think if it's, if it's an issue with his actual manual focusing, then, yeah, the Sigma lens or, or just about any autofocus lens is going to see a huge improvement in the, in the stuff that he does. And I suspect that Sigma is a, a very good lens. And, and when you make that decision to start shooting wide open with a, with a nice prime, you are, you're, 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 you're making a trade. You're trading that sultry, shallow depth of field for a greatly precipitous risk that your whole shot is going to be completely out of focus. And I, you know, I throw away hundreds of photos a week of razor sharp noses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I I know with, with uh, most of the photos I shoot, I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking the, my, whatever is my focus point, you know, within my autofocus and I'm aiming right at the inside corner of someone's eye Mm -hmm. and then re, you know, reorgan, you know, uh, reframing. And you just constantly grab an eye, 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 you know, uh, with autofocus. Uh, for me, anyway, that's how I, uh, to me, I don't really care. I mean, I find that most people won't care about what's in focus and out of focus if the eyes are, I think that's kind of an old 
an and, old and if, idea. And that's something to bear in mind if you're, for instance, if you're a, a Canon user and you're looking at the $100 50 or the $300 50 or the $1,300 50 it's not just that each one gives you a little more stop. It's also that each one is going to have a slightly snappier response with its autofocus servos. Mm-hmm. So that's something to bear in mind, that you're getting more than just a little more light out of each of those price jumps. And with yeah, Mar- I, I, Go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. I was just going to say, I, I suspect that, yeah, in terms of the lens quality, that the Nikon 50mm he's got is not going to be noticeably worse than the Sigma if he's going to get that. So it would be more a matter of just wanting to get autofocus versus manual focus. Well, you're, really, I mean, it, you're really at a disadvantage, aren't you? Because you don't have the focus tools that we used to have when we were doing manual focus. That's right. Yeah, the, the screens aren't designed to be, you know, to show you that you can get new screens, but yeah, they're, they're not designed to show you. Yeah. And, and Timothy, should, Timothy should probably do a test just to be sure of, you know, focus on some stationary kind of brick wall and just make sure yep. that... Uh, you know, he's he is his camera's working. Make sure his shutter speed's fast enough. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's camera shake. Who knows? Just to, to yeah, know it's for worth sure. it's worth bringing up something too that I think a lot of people don't realize, which is you know a lot of times people think, all right, I'm going to stop all the way down to get um, you know really sharp and and really uh, long depth of field, and it's worth mentioning that uh, there's a there's a point beyond which if if you uh, stop down a lot, that the lens will start to get softer again. So F8 is almost always sharper than F22, for instance. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that, that sweet spot, you know, in the, with the enlarger was off, often like two two stops uh, from wide open, you know, mm-hmm. to give the maximum mm-hmm. kind of sharpness. And that yeah. probably is a physics thing that, that holds true. Right, right. Very good. Uh, so if you have if you have other questions, or those are the two we're going to get to today. If you have other questions, make sure to go up to twipphoto.com and uh, let us know what they are. We, we've got a tip of the week from a listener. This is from Jared, and uh, he said, hello, Twippers. Thank you for sharing my Flickr tip about uh, changing the upload date uh, to bring your photo to the front. I'd like to offer another tip to keep, uh, keep up to date on your contacts photos. If you uh, use a feed, a feed reader like Google Reader, you can subscribe to a feed with all of your contacts' latest pictures. This way, you see every photo that your contacts uh, upload. Uh, you get a feed URL, browse your uh, contacts page. Uh, um, uh, here it's uh, www.flickr.com slash photos slash friends. And scroll all the way to the bottom where you will see a link that says feed, subscribe, um, new photos uh, from your friends. Add that address to your feed reader and you can stay up to date. Oh, so, my God. That's awesome. That is awesome. I just can't <laughs> believe I didn't know about that. <laughs> so that was a great – if you have a tip, by the way, if you're a listener and you have a tip, thank you, Jared. Uh, but if, if any of you have tips, uh, make sure to also put those in. Go, come to twipphoto.com. Instead of putting the uh, question in, just put a tip in the subject and, uh, and send us some tips and we'll, we'll, we'll start to read more of them. I think that uh, you know, a lot of us struggle. We've, we've been doing this for a while and we'd love to, have, uh, love to get that input because that's the kind of stuff that I wouldn't think about at all. And, uh, yeah, and we're pretty lazy, so if you give us some good tips, we, there's a good chance we'll use them. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if we, if we look at them and go, like dude, you know, that's awesome, yeah. like, like this one. So Yeah, the bar is set pretty high with that one, i got to say. Yeah, it's yeah. Good- and uh, so, um, so anyway, uh, also in between weeks, uh, we're going to try to get some stuff up. It probably won't happen between this show and next show, but I am shooting some stuff on QuickTime VRs that I'm going to talk about or, or shooting big panos that you can look all the way up and around. And, uh, and I think we're going to try to get uh, some more videos soon. I'm getting a new bag. I ordered it. Oh. What are you getting? Getting oh. a Kata bag. Ooh, cool. Ah. You know, it was, it was, I was buying I the bigger one. What? You're going to get like the one that I got or the, the bigger one? It's the bigger one. With the two okay. little two little uh, front zippers, and mm-hmm. it's a rucksack. It's the it's some kind of rucksack, and I can't think of which one it's called. It's yeah. not the big one that has the big center that opens up. It's the it's another one that's like slightly smaller. I'm going to Africa, and I you know I, I've kind of beat up my uh, the uh, the one that I have, and I'm not, not totally happy with it. And uh, so I, uh, I I you know the problem is with me is I walk into a photo store and just money just starts it like levitates out of my out of my pockets. <laughs> I mean it just it's just like this. And so I had I kept on pushing it back into my pockets while I was st- sitting in the in the store, but uh, I couldn't help it later, and I went to Amazon and ordered it. So it sh- hopefully it's going to show up today, and uh, and I'll finally do my video of um, of how I pack. I have an old video that I may post that I that, like a year ago of how I packed with an old Kata bag, 
um, that was kind of goofy. Um, but I'm going to post a new one of like my new packing structure, um, which nice, is nice. Nice. <laughs> well, congratulations. I, you know, you never have too many bags. We all know that. Man, you know, I know. Bags that. It, what's hard is that, is that you got to get, we got to like in, I, identify these for these, uh, conferences. Cause I speak at a lot of conferences and it seems like I get a new photo bag at every conference, you know, <laughs> it's like, and then it's just like traveling, tra- getting home with yeah. it. You know, it's like, I, I have only, have I mean, if, if there was a photographer's red carpet, you know, the interviewer would be asking, you know, what are you wearing? I'm wearing Kata. I'm wearing That's what we want to hear. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, um, Stu, where can people find you? Uh, I have a, bro- a blog at prolost.com. A fantastic blog, by the way. Thank you very much. And, uh, there's actually, posts on there if you search back there's posts about the the realities of the foveon lens there's posts about uh photography related stuff there's a phot- photography category you can search and there's a link on there to my uh flickr photos which uh pro lost is my uh flickr name as well so you can check out my uh my photos to please myself <laughs> ron where can people find you uh, digitalcomposting.com I guess is I a, <laughs> the best uh, I still think you should have a big pile of chips you know like big pile of pixels <laughs> yeah. they're all just like kind of random up pixels. there yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah so that and you can get from there to you know you, if you want to buy the new copy of my newest book that's out and uh, still you got to plug your book too Oh uh, well, yeah. That's, you'll you'll notice uh, if you go to my blog, you may notice that uh, a little while back I wrote a book called The DV Rebels Guide, which uh, which you should buy multiple copies of and and use it as sort of a stand to hold up and and honor your copy of Ron's book. Is your is your <laughs> <laughs> the, have you um, posted anywhere that Southwest commercial? Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Alex and I were uh, on stage together, and I did a presentation about a little spec commercial that i did for southwest airlines and there are breakdowns and information about it but uh i think a link to it on youtube i haven't posted a higher quality i'll throw it up on vimeo because that's that's the place now where i'm putting my (laughs) higher quality videos i still can't believe that didn't win (laughs) it's a conspiracy man i'm still i'm still bitter about it i keep on every time i see a southwest commercial now i'm like it's not the same. I know. I've protested by only flying Southwest about once every three days since then. <laughs> I've really cut back. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm not flying on them again. Uh, at least until Saturday. Yeah, at least until um, a <laughs> couple days from now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and Ron, so you uh, um, digital composting or digital compositing? Yes, sir. Twitter, Ron Brinkman, B R I N K M A N N N N. Oh yeah, and I'm five T U like Stu, except with a five instead of an S on Twitter. And uh, Steve, where can people find you? Uh, SteveSimonPhoto.com. I'm in the process of updating my website finally. So, uh, yeah, you can check it out. SteveSimonPhoto.com. Are you Twittering? You're still not on Twitter. I'm not Twittering yet, but I, I will. Dude, I man. will. In the fall, I plan on Twittering. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely. Well, the funny thing is, is to Perhaps me, with a nice glass of Chardonnay. I have to admit that, that for me, it's like, the, it's like the Twitter mind. Like, I complain about something, and I get like... 40 responses yeah you know you know it's, so it's like the you know like my uh you know i dx'd my i had a problem with firefox and i couldn't get there's a whole bunch of sites i couldn't use like it, the buttons wouldn't work and things wouldn't work and then i got all these like try you know camino try this try this and then one person said have you reinstalled flash and uh and i reinstalled it and it worked <laughs> and that was it you know and, and i was like oh this is better than google yeah it's the hive mind yeah totally totally so anyway um until next week you can put that cap right back on 